If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. How's your sore throat? It's okay. I think yeah. it was just allergies. I spent a lot of time outside really? over the last couple days. Well, because earlier this morning you were convinced you had the COVID. I wasn't convinced. I was just concerned that I had a sore throat. Mm-hmm. But you don't go anywhere. <laughs> that's not true. We had the yard sale. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. And that's I true. did I did partake in some haggling. Oh. Some mask-free haggling. Oh, no. Not the mask-free haggling. That's right. And, you know, though I did accept their dollars from far away. Cat mm-hmm. actually did take necessary precautions. She, she wore a mask. And when taking money from yard sale people, she used one of those old man pinchy sticks. Yeah. And then I sprayed them in the face mm-hmm. with <laughs> <laughs> yep. Clorox. Something like that. No, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, in in the yard sale environment, it's easy enough to stay distanced. And, mm-hmm. you know, the main itself lends to a, a social distancing environment. Everything's so rural. You can stand on opposite sides of the dooryard. The dooryard. And, and yell at each other. That's and true. That's, that's fine. Yeah. Dooryard. I I always grew up with that term, dooryard. Yeah. And when I said that, I I moved out of Maine, and I think I was living in Arizona at the time, and I used the term dooryard. And people are like, what the hell is that? In Maine, the distance between the Maine house and the barn was called the dooryard. That's the yard between the two doors. That's the dooryard. Which reminds me of the incredible response that we had to the dadisms on the Father's Day post. Thank you so much to everyone who partook in that. I have to say, some people reached out and were like, oh, this is a thing that my dad used to say. And it was exactly something that my dad used to say. And I hadn't thought of it in years. And it blew my mind. And I was just like, how the hell does everyone's dad have this same stuff in their head? It was amazing. I thought of one from my family. Well, it's better than a poke in the ass with a frozen carrot. (laughs) I guess that's debatable. I suppose. (laughs) No shaming. 
Okay, I'm going to go first, and, I'm, and I have a story for you. It's it's the mystery of the Brompton Cemetery. Ooh. The Brompton Cemetery, uh, which is in London, in the middle of the Brompton that's hard to say. In the middle of the Brompton Cemetery in London, there stands a large, highly unusual-looking, above-ground, Egyptian-style crypt. Ooh, is it Nicolas Cage's crypt? No, no, but I thought of that, too, when I when I came across the story, because that's in New Orleans, right? Where, yeah, I think so. Where yeah, his, he's his got his little pyramid. Future resting place is a, is a pyramid. I love it. But this one in London at the Brompton Cemetery um, is about 20 feet in height and about 15 by 15 feet at its base. The massive mausoleum is the most elaborate construction in this particular cemetery, mm-hmm. and that alone makes it kind of remarkable, but uh, just, you know, the sheer stature yeah. alone. But there's much more to this story. It is believed by some to be a fully functional time machine. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to, I w- you know, of course I'm led to believe that maybe someone fancy is buried there, or it's the uh, hidden underground mm. entrance to something but no time machine time all machine. right went right there okay yeah, immediately to the time machine <laughs> here's the story it's the resting place of hannah cortoy along with two of her three daughters elizabeth and marianne uh the three of them rest in this tomb at least that's what they say hannah was born in 1784 her original name was hannah peters and she fled an abusive father at a very young age Uh, She was able to support herself by finding work as a housekeeper, and she worked in taverns. In about 1880, a friend introduced her her to a guy named John Cortoy. He was a 70-year-old former wig maker who was in poor health. A (laughs) a 70-year-old former wig maker in poor health. Every once in a while, I like to change my Twitter bio to something (laughs) insane that you've said during your stories. I think right now it's uh, alarm clock salesman and hot rod aficionado. Right. um, Which I think was from your San Francisco show. Yes. Uh, But now I think poor health former wig salesman might have to be. (laughs) 70-year-old former wig maker in poor health. Um, Now, he'd made a a fortune in lending business. She was employed by him as a housekeeper for a brief amount of time. Uh, Within one year, she had given birth to the first of three daughters. Uh, She claimed all three daughters were those of Courtois, although... She started cleaning his house. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Some people suspected that uh, the friend who made their introduction, Francis Grosso, might have been the real father. But there are rumors that uh, she was his mistress. Uh, That was not the only person who she was a mistress for, but uh, politicians and and other rich and powerful men. There was a rumor that she was uh, trying to sleep her way to the top. Okay. Now, Courtois' illness was defined in some historical accounts. It was said that uh, he was not of good health because of a violent run-in he had with a prostitute in 1795. Apparently, um, he got slashed with a knife and an infection ensued, and it made him really kind of antisocial and reserved. But apparently, he he seemed to, to like Peters a lot. And so she she took his name 
and began to continually exert more influence over many of his decisions, especially financial ones. In 1810, Courtois died, and he left the bulk of his fortune to an ex-wife, whose name was Mary Ann Woolley, and uh, their five children. So when he died, the contents of the will were disputed, both by Woolley, of course, uh, also some of his French relatives. They argued that uh, dementia had taken over his better senses. Uh, legal arguments dragged out through 1827. At the end of all of the court uh, hearings, uh, the, uh, the daughters, along with Hannah, received the bulk of uh, John Courtois' money. The daughters from the previous marriage or... Hannah and her Hannah, daughters. Hannah and her daughters. Okay. Now, one of Hannah's descendants, David Godson, wrote a book in 2014 called uh, Courtois Complaint. And it was based mostly on diaries that were kept by a different housekeeper for Courtois, whose name was Maureen Sayers. And I guess because Courtois was kind of antisocial and a little bit unpleasant, uh, she looked for friendship elsewhere, even though she had taken his name and claimed that her children were of his descent. Of his balls. Yeah. Got it. His scrot sack. (laughs) Um, She developed a friendship with uh, somebody outside of the house by the name of John Bonamy. Now, he was an Egyptologist, and she had this incredible interest in Egyptology, which was not I know we've had that's come up a couple of times in the last few shows. Many people in uh, England during those those times very interested in ancient Egyptology and iconology from from Egypt. I suppose I am too. So yeah, nothing weird there. So he would come over and they would hang out and um, they would uh, talk about hieroglyphics. Uh, she believed Egyptians had a deep understanding of astrology and uh, their place in the universe, almost mysticism in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so she invited John, uh, oh, I'm sorry, his name was Joseph Bonamy, not John Bonamy, Joseph Bonamy, over for- John Bonamy. <laughs> not, not the drummer from, no, it's John Bonamy. Anyway, um, so he would come over and they would hang out and they would talk about Egypt and uh, they would spend hours discussing Egyptian lore. And Hannah was hoping one day to fund Bonamy's expeditions to Egypt once once she got her hands on um, Courtois' money. But she didn't want to go. She just wanted to fund it? Yeah. Where's the fun in that? So apparently she did. She did fund some exhibitions. So when Hannah died in 1849, her remains were uh, set to be placed in this expensive, elaborate mausoleum in Brompton Cemetery that paid tribute to her interest. Bonamy arranged for the tomb to feature Egyptian characteristics, uh, some um, hieroglyphs. It was pyramid-shaped at the top. And uh, later, Mary and Elizabeth, who never married because they didn't want people, you know, coming in and marrying them just for their money. Sure. uh, They joined her. And when Bonamy died in 1878, he arranged for a uh, depiction of Courtois' tomb to appear on his own headstone, which is next to her uh, mausoleum. And on it, it had uh, the an illustration of Anubis, the Egyptian god of, of the dead. And he is pointing toward the giant mausoleum, the Egyptian pyramid-shaped mausoleum Got it. right next to it. And so that's the way things ended for about 100 years ago. And during this period, the key to the vault was lost. No one has entered it for generations, not officially anyway. In 1998, a reporter for the Associated Press, Helen Smith, wrote a story 
that uh, may have been the first mainstream article to raise the theory about the uh, tomb actually being a time machine. Smith described the monument as a strange imposing structure containing these three spinsters from uh, the Victorian period about whom almost nobody knows and cited an unheralded author by the name of Howard Webster who claimed his research had excavated a connection between Bonamy and a guy named Samuel Alfred Warner, who is a maverick Victorian genius, quoting there. Um, <laughs> he was also a fraudster, said to have attempted uh, to interest the British armed forces in several advanced weapons, uh, including something that would teleport torpedoes to different areas. Oh. And he actually was well thought of enough at the time where the Navy bought the rights to it. And when they tried to test the stuff, of course, none of it, it worked. Oh, but, no. But uh, he was... That was a dud Stargate. <laughs> yeah, but he uh, was responsible for some pretty inventive ideas and uh, and contraptions at the time. He's an idea guy, Chuck. Webster speculated that uh, Warner's inventive abilities may have led him to consort with uh, Bonamy who had a knowledge supposedly of Egyptian theories of time travel, Stargate-ish kind of stuff. So according to him, together, the two convinced the wealthy trusting um, Hannah to finance their secret project, with uh, Bonamy providing ancient wisdom and Warner adding his breakthrough scientific resources. And they thought, well, we're going to place this time machine in a cemetery, because that'll guarantee the structure is unlikely to be disturbed for decades or even centuries, and that is smart. If you're going to put, a, if you're going to build a time machine and it's go, it's going to have a permanent base, mm -hmm. cemetery is the best place to do it because you know it's going to be there for an extended period of time. I mean, unless a housing project is going in poltergeist style, that has happened. But the idea was it would allow him to return to London after traveling through time again and again. Okay. So here's the interesting thing. When the AP article came out in 1988, a man claiming to be Bonamy's associate, Samuel Alfred Warner, wrote the AP claiming to have built this time machine and had hidden it in a cemetery so it wouldn't attract attention. In fact, he claimed that there were others hidden in different London cemeteries. Now, this was 1998. When I read this, well, it can't be him because, you know, that happened back in the 1800s. Oh, wait, time travel. Oh, I see. So this guy's claiming he was the dude back in the mm -hmm. 1800s who built this time machine, but sure. he was in 1998 just stopping by. Local historian Stephen Coates, he's had, he's kind of made studying the tomb a bit of a hobby. His theory is the mausoleum may be a teleportation device as opposed to a, a, a time machine because, again, Warner had this, allegedly had this technology to teleport torpedoes. At least he sold that idea to the British Navy. Right. So his thought is, at the very least, if they can open up the tomb, that uh, at the very least, there might be some evidence or secrets of, of some of Warner's labors. Maybe it's not a teleportation device. Maybe it's not a, a time machine, but maybe it's a storage facility for some of his secret... His neat stuff. Neat stuff, yeah. Maybe it was like a storage unit. <laughs> oh, that would be a really intricate way of getting a storage unit <laughs> yeah. on the cheap. So Mental Floss did an, an article on this, and they asked him if he truly believed this story. And his response is, it's an alternative theory based on historical fact. So he's like, yeah, well, could be. But in 2015, Coates, the historian and blogger and a descendant of Hannah, Roy Godson, told the independent newspaper 
that uh, they hope they can find a way to open the tomb's door. They want to get in and just verify. Nobody's Poke been about. In, yeah, no one's been in there for generations. Sure. He wrote in his blog, which is called the Clerkenwell Kid. He asserts that, uh, in fact, the tomb is one of five teleportation chambers designed by Joseph Bonamy and built by his occult partner, the Clerkenwell inventor Samuel Alfred Warner. In 2011, his blog talked about uh, Warner and Bonamy's experiments with ancient Egyptian occult methods of teleportation. And to this day, they they claim that that's, uh, they believe it's a possibility. That- so in, in, in this theory, you can teleport from graveyard to graveyard? Yes. And the guy speaking up and saying that he's Warner, uh, what's his motivation? Like, why, why come out now and, and say, yeah... It's a teleportation. I don't know. Maybe just to rub our noses in it. Mm -hmm. All you fancy people from the future. You think you're so smart. Sure. I build a graveyard time machine. It's a fascinating tale. This woman, uh, she she gets a bunch of money from an inheritance. She befriends this guy who is an Egyptologist, and he's into some of the more mystical beliefs of ancient Egypt, including time travel and teleportation. He connects with this inventor guy Mm -hmm. who was admittedly also a fraudster. And the claim is they built this time machine or teleportation device in a cemetery, which I find brilliant that's a brilliant idea but there's like absolutely nothing that actually implies that that's even something that could have or did happen like that like ooh, someone showed up unexpectedly <laughs> okay other than that one uh piece of correspondence to the associated press from a guy claiming to be the dude <laughs> from from back in that in that time so yeah it's a legend i got it. it's a story but it's a fascinating one. And I can see where that's how urban legends are born. Absolutely. I would like to see it very much. It's beautiful. Well, I mean, in person. All right, let's go. I got my information from Mental Floss, European Cemeteries Route, Vintage News, and the AP. Flights are real cheap right now. <laughs> I don't like the idea of the teleportation device. I don't like that theory. No? No. I mean... What are you just going to travel between cemeteries in London? Okay, maybe it was before the subway. You right. Know, and you Traffic was bad. Lots of horse poop. In the sewers. Yeah. Lots of uh, human waste running around in the, in the gutters and the streets. Yeah. Uh, maybe that would be an incentive to build a teleportation device in Victorian times. But the idea that it's a time machine, it's just brilliant that it would be in a, in a freaking cemetery. Right, let's come on. <laughs> Victorian time machine. <laughs> It's like the TARDIS, only spookier. And now, that thing in the middle. Oh, there was something that I meant to uh, mention. Uh, Time travel's real. Okay, Uh, thing in the middle. What do we got here? Oh, weird Oreo flavors. Some I am very interested in. Some I could do without. Number five, lemon twist. This is kind of uh, a weird idea, but if it's if it's kind of like those, uh, what are the Girl Scout cookies that are lemony flavored? Lemonades. Those are good. Those are good. Yeah. Especially with a nice hot cup of coffee and that lemony stuff on the bottom starts yeah. to melt a little bit. Mm. So, number four, Swedish fish Oreos. <laughs> I cannot fathom that that is good. Do they actually use real Swedish fish? Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Number three, candy corn flavored Oreos. <gasps> that, they put that out during uh, Halloween season. 
I can't. I there's nothing appealing about candy corn to me. Mm. I cannot think of a candy that is less appealing to me than candy corn. Candy corn is cloaked in the raiments of Satan. Number two, limeade Oreos. <laughs> now I will say I love me a nice limeade. Mm-hmm. Love me. What am I, an old jazz singer? I do love some limeade. I do love limeade. <laughs> But I'm gonna I'm gonna say hard pass on these limeade flavor cream Oreos. Uh, these, by the way, just to clarify, they have the golden Oreo on the outside rather than the chocolate Oreo. I hate the golden Oreo. All right. They make me angry. It's not candy corn. And the number one weirdest Oreo flavor, at least in my opinion, waffles and syrup Oreos. Oh, and by the way, it says right on the package. They're artificially flavored. Oh. They're not made with real waffles and syrup. Huh. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames. And living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? 
I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the Box of Oddities. Your mileage may vary. Jesse posted on the Freaks group on Facebook, I went to the store today wearing my Order of the Freaks shirt and a mask made from material that has the twins from The Shining on it. (laughs) We shared this on our uh, premium bonus episode, by the way, but it's such a fun story. We have to share it again. She continues that she walked past a couple while standing there looking at bedsheets, and she heard the guy say, I guess no one could ever accuse her and her shirt of false advertising. <laughs> Look at her mask and looking at Star Wars sheets as an adult. I guess she really is a member of the Order of the Freaks. The woman whipped her head around really fast to look at my shirt and told him, Shut the fuck up, Alex. You're being such an asshole. <laughs> And then yelled over to me, keep flying that freak flag, girl, and fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. <laughs> she then punched him in the arm and called him an ass and walked away. <laughs> I love that. I do, too. She followed up, by the way. Yes, she did buy those Star Wars sheets. Well, there you go. That's an excellent quality betting decision on your part, madam. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? Speaking of the Freaks group, Lana shared a post that caught my attention and I did some research and absolutely uh, became intrigued AF about hagfish. Hagfish. Can we switch chairs? Yes. Okay, hold on. There. I sold Kat's chair in the yard sale and she is now sitting on... Um, milk crates. Okay, well, now I am. Ugh. Oh, my God. Right. This is not comfortable Isn't at all. That terrible? All right, so hagfish, you were saying. Hagfish, also known as hypertretty. So the classification of hagfish has been controversial. The issue is whether the hagfish was a degenerate type of vertebrae fish that through evolution had lost its vertebrae. Degenerate type of vertebrae fish like hanging around. Loitering mostly. Yeah, with a crowbar smashing windows out of uh, cars that have been left on the side of the road. Yeah. Leaning up against them smoking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Or whether hagfish represent a stage that precedes the evolution of the vertebral column. So hagfish are the only known living animal that has a skull but no vertebral column. Huh. So despite being named slime eels, they really aren't eels. They are a jawless fish. And its body is made up entirely of cartilage, like the body of a shark or your earlobe. Gross. 
I'm still thinking of slime eel. <laughs> That's so gross. We're going to really get into the slime. Hold on. These little nuggets are scavengers that feed on marine invertebrates and carcasses of marine life on the seafloor. Hagfish don't have jaws, but they do have two rows of teeth made of keratin, uh, the same protein that makes up like hair and hooves and horns. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't really have to rely on their teeth, though, because they are capable of absorbing nutrients through their skin, and they can survive for months without eating. That's so disgusting. Did you just pass a hagfish? I was so upset I passed a hagfish. (laughs) Boy, did that hurt. Made my eyes water. Hagfish have elongated eel-like bodies and a paddle-like tail. The skin is naked. There's no scales or anything like that. Um, And it covers the body like a loosely fitting sock. It's The skin is only connected to the body along the center ridge of the back. The rest of it's just kind of like loosely hanging around the body. So it's like an oversized condom fish. It's kind of like that, yep. They range from pink to blue-gray. Sometimes black or white spots might be present. They're typically about 19 inches in length, about 50 centimeters. There is a large species, uh, which is recorded at being about four feet long, 127 centimeters. And there's little nuggets, little tiny baby guys that are about an inch and a half long. So the, as I mentioned, the skin is attached only along the center ridge of the back, uh, right about where its slime glands are. <laughs> so yeah, when the hagfish feels threatened, it releases hagfish slime. It's a protein-based jelly-like substance that, that comes out of their slime pores that run the length of its body. The mucin is made up of long thread-like fibers similar to spider's silk. The strands, which are arranged in bundles called skeins, are thinner than human hair, stronger than nylon, and extremely flexible. So when the skeins come into contact with seawater, the glue holding them together dissolves, allowing the slime to expand rapidly. And it's not just a little bit. Wikipedia referred to it as a copious amount of slime. So this is like an an oversized used condom fish. (laughs) Gross. They've got about a hundred slime glands running along their flanks. And when captured uh, or when they feel threatened, they secrete this mucus, which expands into up to 20 liters that's five and a half gallons oh God. of gelatinous material when combined with water. Hagfish slime can expand by 10,000 times in less than a second. There's got to be some kind of a practical industrial purpose for this. They must, they must be studying and researching this. There's got to be some kind of use for it. So the slime is made up, as I said, of strands that are stronger than nylon and thinner than human hair. But... Unlike other types of mucus, hagfish slime does not dry out. So it's not like snot, where eventually it will get all crusty. Really? It just stays weird and slimy, but not For, but not sticky. Forever. It just stays like that forever. I don't know if it's forever, but it would take a really long time. Wow. But it's not sticky. So even though you might think like slime equals stick, that's not right. It's tens of thousands of times softer than jello. 
uh, which, I mean, isn't particularly rigid to begin with. It's basically a -a one-of-a-kind substance. There's nothing to even really compare it to. I mean, other than it is described by Douglas Fudge of Chapman University as being kind of like a spider web that was built underwater. Well, if that's what Douglas Fudge thinks, then... He said, you reach in and every move of your hand will drag the water with it. It doesn't feel much like anything at first, as if a spider has built a web underwater. Hmm. But try to lift your hand out and it's as if the bucket's contents are now attached to you. Wow. So that could be deadly in the right right amounts. As you would assume, this is a defense mechanism. When a hagfish is in a... Let's call it a sticky situation, (laughs) even though we've discussed it is not sticky. They can tie themselves into an overhand knot and work the knot down itself to clear the slime from its own body. No way. Uh, Right? So it's one of the ways that they free themselves from the captor. They they unslime themselves and leave that slime with their captor. Slime also fills the mouth and gills of an attacker, allowing the, the fish to escape. And does it kill the uh, it can. Th- predator? Yeah. Well, if nothing else, they have to really work to free their gills of it. So they, they have to let go of the, sli- right, the hagfish right. because they, they need to focus on other things like the breathing. Unfortunately, though, the predator that they do have a hard time getting away from is humans. So in most of the world, hagfish aren't really eaten. But in Korea, the hagfish is a valued food where it's generally skinned, coated in spicy sauce, and grilled over charcoal or stir-fried. No. (laughs) In addition, hagfish skin is used for a variety of accessories. Sometimes they call it eel skin. Uh, It's used to make belts and wallets and such. It's pretty gross. There was an accident in Oregon in 2017, um, and the photo of the aftermath of this accident is what was in the article that Lana originally shared that caught my attention. A truck carrying a bunch of hagfish overturned on the interstate and spilled its cargo onto the roadway uh, and this car. So as we said, the slime is emitted in great quantities very quickly. So the car was covered in this slime, and it's just dripping off of it. The road is covered in hagfish and hagfish slime. They had to use, like, those uh, trucks with the scoops on the front, the scoopy trucks. Front-end loader? The zoop zoop. <laughs> sure. And it was really actually pretty uncomfortable to watch because they're just scooping these up, and I guess they they couldn't, mm. like, snag them one by one. No. And it's just, it's really uncomfortable to watch. Anyway. Not even to mention how uncomfortable it must have been for the people that were in the car. I would be tempted to just stay there. <laughs> this is where we live now. <laughs> As you mentioned, researchers are experimenting with methods of creating man-made slime uh, that would be like what this hagfish excretes. Because extracting the substance directly from the hagfish, it's expensive and it's very stressful for the animal. As you can imagine, it's a self-defense mechanism. It doesn't feel good to, to you know, blow your load. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Um But the strong, flexible fabrics that are made from the slime could replace petroleum-based materials like nylon. Hmm. And the resulting fabric 
could be more durable and environmentally friendly. There are even researchers who are studying hagfish slime used as protective gear for, like, Kevlar vests. In the auto industry, hagfish slime could be used in airbags or to add lightweight strength and flexibility to car parts. Scientists also think that they might be able to use hagfish slime to create hydrogels that could be used in disposable diapers and farm irrigation systems. There's a ton of options, and this is all according to uh, a Navy article. A diaper full of hagfish. (laughs) I only said that because that's going to be the name of this episode. The U.S. Navy is currently working with hagfish slime in hopes of creating a substance that can protect divers from underwater attacks, fight fires, and even stop missiles. Other applications for hagfish slime include tissue engineering and replacing damaged tendons in the human body. This is all very fascinating. Isn't that interesting? But again, it's not great for the hagfish to be farming out this slime. So they're trying to figure out ways that they can recreate it in a lab, which is amazing. Synthetic hagfish slime. I will definitely post the photo of the car uh, that had been damaged by way of hagfish slime, (laughs) because that is interesting, though. The the rest of the videos, don't watch them because it is upsetting. I would imagine... That car smells bad even to this day. You know, I I don't know what hagfish slime smells like, Mm -hmm. but I'm guessing the longer it's on a hot car in the sun, the worse it gets. Well, I believe that the car was damaged by the overturning truck anyway. So probably it was totaled before (laughs) people went, nope, never driving that again. (laughs) I'm just going to throw this one away. (laughs) Good day. So anyway, that's the hagfish. That's that's really fascinating. I love it when uh, science finds things that naturally occur in nature. Mm. And they say, hey, you know what? Nature does this better than we do. That's right. Let's, uh, let's adapt it. It's a very uh, medicine man vibe. I love it. <laughs> we got to watch that again. I love Sean Connery, though he's a wicked dink in that movie. <laughs> I loved it when I was a kid. And then we rewatched it a couple of years ago. And man... I didn't realize, like, what a misogynist and yeah, kind of... but he had shit to do. Dinkus he was. <laughs> not uh, not Sean Connery, of course. He's no. lovely and, and tremendous, His as character. always. His yeah. character. Right, right. Of course. I would never accuse Sean Connery. Never. We mentioned the uh, Order of Freaks a couple of times in this episode. If you would like to join the Order, it's a very simple process. It helps support the Box of Oddities. Uh, as a member of the Order of Freaks, you get uh, the episodes ad-free. You get them a day early. You get a bonus episode once a month. And you get access to us through the uh, Order of Freaks back channel. You can join by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com. That's also where you can find links to our merch and our social media and all that business. You guys have a safe rest of the week, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak, and buy those Star Wars sheets. (laughs) And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. 
Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.